You can turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be looking at a few verses this morning that uh, are, are uh, you know, one of the, some of the verses that are very, very popular that uh, a lot of people know, a lot of people that uh, even don't really ever read the Bible. They're, it's one of the verses that sometimes becomes a slogan that people use uh, for a lot of different things. And a lot of times it's, you know, just uh, misinterpreted or totally misses the context uh, that leads you to understand the true meaning of the passage. And as we go to um, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 10. Uh, and then we're going to kind of go back and just look at the whole context of the letter that Paul had written to the church in Philippi here. But let's uh, begin uh, again in uh, Philippians 4 verse 10. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So again, uh, this is one of those verses that people use a lot uh, in different different uh, ways. A lot of times you'll see this when somebody's facing some sort of trial or somebody's uh, going to have to do something that, uh, you know, even we've seen it with uh, like sporting events or anything like that, that people would use scripture like this, that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But we have to, again, understand the context of this whole letter that Paul was writing to the the church in uh, Philippi here. Um, so as we go back, we're going to go back to the beginning of the book in chapter 1 and just go through uh, just kind of an overview of what he was writing to the, the church uh, in this moment. And as we do that, I think the, the Spirit of God will give us a greater understanding of what he's trying to say in those few verses that a lot of times get taken out of context. But uh, if if we go back to the beginning of the book, really this all comes down to uh, Paul was kind of encouraging through, obviously through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Anytime we talk about, uh, you know, the writers of the letters in, in uh, the Bible or anybody who had written anything in the Word of God, uh, none of that was just written by their own thoughts or desires, but the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit uh, carried them along to pen the words that they had written. Everything that is written in the Word of God is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and comes from God and is given to the church through that. So, But as as he was writing this letter through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then basically it comes down to he was encouraging the believers through his testimony of uh, his confidence in God and the strength that he uh, experienced daily in life through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. So that was really what he was getting at overall uh, as he was writing to the church in these moments. And we'll see that as we go here. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start uh, in, in verse 1. Uh, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers uh, for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So uh, at this point, Paul was in prison. He was arrested for uh, sharing the gospel and everything that he was doing for Christ in that moment. So he had been with these people. He had developed the relationship with them. He was a mentor to them. He was discipling them. He was teaching them uh, the things of Christ. And uh, he was, you can, if you read this passage, you can see the sincerity of his desire to love them and see them continue to grow in their faith, to see the fruit of Christ uh, dwelling in them through the the presence of the Holy Spirit, to see the fruit of that work of the Spirit in their uh, their hearts, to see that overflowing out of them. Uh, You can see him uh, having such a desire to see them continue on in the faith. And again, he says in verse 9, I pray, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he's encouraging them. Uh, immediately when he starts this letter, he's encouraging them uh, to continue on in Christ, to continue uh, pursuing Christ, and to gain a greater knowledge and depth of insight. He's pleading with God Uh, He says that he continues to pray this for them, that they may grow and abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight and understand the things of God. He thanks them for their partnership in the gospel. He thanks them uh, in spite of all that he is going through as he is in prison. He thanks them for their faithfulness uh, in the work of Christ. He goes on and then he talks about uh, his his again, his testimony of of his life in Christ, his confidence in in Christ, uh, in the strength that he experiences in Christ. We see this starting in the last part of verse eighteen in chapter one. It says, uh, "And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance." I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he's teaching them, again in this moment, he's teaching them uh, the true... um, I guess the way that he views all the suffering that he's going f- through in this moment, he's putting this in perspective for the church that he's writing to. He's encouraging them in Christ, but he's saying, even though I am in prison, even though I'm in, I am in jail at this time, I am in chains at this time, uh, I am uh, able to rejoice. Uh, I eagerly expect, he's talking about anticipation of meeting with them again. Uh, he's talking about Christ being exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. So the point is, he's saying in this moment is, no matter what I'm going through in this moment, 
My aim, my goal, my desire is to elevate Christ, to glorify him, whether that is in my my life, in my body, whether I continue in my body to serve him here, or whether I go to be with him in my death, whether he is glorified in the, the work that he has done through me thus far in life, and then I pass on to be with him, and he is glorified in that. Whatever it is, his goal in that moment, he's telling these people, keep this in perspective. The goal is to glorify Christ in all things. Uh, we see then in uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 27, he's talking to them about uh, standing firm in unity and faith, though they experience suffering. So he goes goes on to talk about his life, uh, what he's experiencing in his prison and chains right now, and again, his desires to glorify God. But then he goes on to talk to them about uh, uh, them walking in unity and standing firm. Uh, let's just read that in verse uh, 27. Whatever happens, con- conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved on the day. Uh, you will be saved, and that by God. And then in verse 30, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So he's saying you're going through these struggles or you're going to go through these struggles. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. So he's, again, encouraging them to the things of Christ, to lift up, to elevate the things of Christ and to walk in Christ in unity together, accomplishing the purposes of Christ, no matter what suffering them they, they would face. And then we see in chapter 2, uh, if you read through uh, verses 1 through 11, he talks about them being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then in verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the mind, same mindset as Christ. So he continues into chapter 2, talking to them about walking in unity together, that they would be like-minded, have the same love, one in spirit and mind, that they wouldn't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, that they would value other people above themselves. So he's pointing their eyes, again, not to their circumstances, but to the glory of Christ. He's saying, in spite of everything that you were dealing with, make sure that you personally you're doing everything you can to walk in step with the other believers that you wouldn't do anything out of conceit to to harm somebody else in any way but you would be like-minded with them that you would value them above yourselves now again a lot of times we we in the church are it's easy for us to read or hear things uh, that God outlines in his word, and we think of all the, the the situations off in the distance that this applies to, but we never get to the point of actually understanding the application for myself. Again, he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing that we do. There is not one situation in God's church, or in general in life, but uh, talking, he's talking to the church. This letter is written to the church. Don't do anything. There's nothing that you encounter Ever that should be done out of vain, selfish ambition or vain conceit. There is nothing that should be done for your own glory or for yourself 
uh, all the while ignoring the good of uh, those around you. There's nothing that should be done out of selfish ambition uh, from the people of God. He says, uh, then we see him, uh, again, he says in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's saying to every single individual member of the church, everyone individually, you have the mindset of Christ. You Train yourself to have this mind, the same mindset as Christ. Make sure that you are doing whatever you can to cultivate the same mind that Christ had for yourself so that you may walk in unity with others, so that you may elevate others, so that you may uh, be a person who is uh, encouraging others and lifting others up to, to bring out the best in others, to walk with others united in the purposes of God. That is what he is saying here, that you should have the same mindset as Christ. And that is not something that we just broadly apply, uh, that we, I mean, we individually read and then we broadly apply to every other situation in life. But when I read these things, I, I understand that this needs to apply to other people in the church, but I don't push it off on others, but I determine how do I walk in this? How do I cultivate the mind of Christ in myself? How do I make sure that I avoid selfish ambition or vain conceit? How do I make sure that I am in humility valuing others above myself? Whether other people do that or not, how do I make sure that I am doing that? So he is encouraging them again in the midst of suffering and everything that's going on around them to have the same mindset of Christ who endured pain and suffering, who endured people spitting in his face and beating him all for the sake of mankind so that we may be able to be redeemed from sin, to be redeemed from our sinful nature, to be redeemed back to the image of God and to walk in our created purpose again uh, in him. We see then, Paul goes on in, in chapter 3, and he talks about uh, he talks about all of the things that he had gained, all of the things that he had had in life. We're going to pick it up in Philippians chapter 3, starting verse 3. He says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which uh, is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, uh, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Uh, so uh, in this moment, we see them hit, then Christ, or, or I'm sorry, we see Paul looking back to his life and again, giving them this perspective from his testimony of what Christ has done in his life. Uh, he is saying all of these things that people aspired to be, people who desired to be 
uh, religious people who desire to uh, walk in the laws of God. All of these things that these people aspired to be. I was all of these things. Every one of these things. I had attained positions. I had attained uh, uh, you know, the confidence that comes with saying all of these laws over here, I lived up to every one of them. He's saying, I was able to do all of those things, but I count every bit of that as a loss. All of my positions, all of my authority, all of my accomplishments, everything that I had, I count that as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ and to be found in him. We see uh, in him in this moment what Christ outlined In Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So he is leading the, the church in Philippi at this point, saying, uh, of his thankfulness for them and their faithfulness to continue on in that. He's praying for, for their love to abound more and more, that they would understand greater knowledge and depth of insight from God. He's talking about their suffering that they would face. He's talking about them walking in unity together, that they would have the same mind as Christ, that they would walk in unity together. And then he is saying, look, all of these things that you can accomplish uh, in life, whatever it is, it could apply to any situation that you face. Everything that you can find in this world is worth nothing compared to the glory of knowing Christ and being found in Him. That is what He is saying. And so He's leading them through His testimony and teaching. He's leading them, them to the point of saying, uh, when we get to chapter 4 and we start looking about again to Him saying, I'm, I've come to the point of being content in all things. Uh, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's using the beginning of this letter to lead to that point where he is bringing it all together, basically saying that everything that you have been taught, here is the fruit of my life walking in these truths. So I have laid out all of these truths through the Holy Spirit for you to lay hold of. All of these things that Christ is calling us to as the church, I am walking in these things through the through the the. Uh, uh, the grace of God, I am walking in these things on a daily basis, and here is the fruit of this in my life. Uh, he says, I have learned to be content because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, who gives me strength in pain and suffering and loss, who gives me strength in his daily provisions of graces. He gives me strength in the renewing influence of his spirit. He gives me strength by his counsel. He gives me strength in the knowledge of his advocacy for me in the presence of the Father and through his abiding presence through the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see that, that he is bringing the church in Philippi to this point of telling them everything that we are laying out for you. These aren't just good Christian principles. These aren't just... Uh, nice thoughts, good things that you can try to reform your behaviors to meet these goals. But he is saying, this is life. This is something that can enable you to walk through whatever you face. All of these truths that are laid before you in Christ are able to keep you, to give you hope, to enable you to walk in strength and in encouragement in contentment and peace. All of these things. Again, in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, we see... I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So the first thing we see here is his thankfulness for their concern for him, that they would participate in the work of God by uh, his benefit, by providing provision for him, everything that was need for him, and simply their love for him. You can imagine in this moment that he had spent all this time investing in these people, teaching them, uh, mentoring them, uh, agonizing for them. You can see it in his words that the Spirit gives him his agony uh, in a good way, an agony to see these people lay hold of the hope that Christ has made available to them. You can see that and you can imagine the joy that would come to the heart uh, of such a servant as he inv- has invested so much through, through the strength of Christ in these people. But then to see them come alive in their love for him, in their joy in participating in the purposes of God. So that's what he begins with. But then he says he's teaching them still in this moment when he is responding with thanks and in welcome of their gifts. He still is teaching them in this moment. Uh, He says then uh, in verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Uh, So, what we have to understand here in this moment, what he is telling them, what he is teaching them, is that in every situation that he faces, again, he has learned to be content. That the first thing that we see here is that contentment is something that we learn through the Spirit, through the teaching of the Spirit, through the teaching of the Word of God. It is something that we learn. It is not something that we just simply arrive at by chance. We don't just simply wake up one day and we're content. It's be, Contentment is not something that we can buy. It's not something that we can arrive at by a certain amount of finances. It's not something that we can arrive at as we gain a certain amount of possessions. We have so many times where we, uh, you know, if I could just one day when I have uh, this house or one day when I have, uh, you know, j- just a, a car that works well or one day when I have uh you know this certain job whatever it is there are always these things that we are looking off in the future to have but they never bring contentment this might be a foolish example but uh you know when when i was a worship leader you know and i played in different bands and things i had a lot of i still have uh a lot of uh you know equipment for my guitars and things like that so with electric guitars uh you know you would run into this these different pedals that would make the guitar sound different ways and then into your amplifier and all these things and you know years ago i spent so much time searching for all of these different kind of pedals that would make your sound uh better and i would i would look at all these pedals and then i would get one and and then it was on to the next one that's well, I, now that I have this one, I need to get this or this. And then it, there was never enough. It was never enough. There was always something else that you felt like you needed. Or some of these times I, I would look at these different pedals and I would uh, 
for so long be saving up money to buy a certain pedal and then you would get it and I just didn't like it. Uh, so the point is after time I finally realized that this pedal does nothing for, I mean it, it does some things, but what comes down to is uh, me as a musician is what makes you sound good. It, it, pedals, you can have thousands and thousands of dollars worth of pedals, but ultimately, if you aren't playing well, they're not going to make you sound good. So the point is, I finally came to the point where I recognized I can make things sound good with the stuff that I have. Uh, and I don't need to be searching for all of these things that just... Uh, again, lead you to wanting more and more. It is always something. It's not just that. It can be anything in life. Uh, anything that we want in life, there is constant, something constantly that takes us to our higher level. Once we attain this, there is something else that we need or there's something else that we want. There is always just another step that we need to attain to think that we're going to gain some sort of contentment. The point is that you cannot find contentment in things in this world. There is no way that you can find contentment in that way. Contentment is something that we learn through the abiding presence of the Spirit of God, teaching us to walk in the ways of God, being content in Christ and Himself. Uh, he says, I have learned to, in whatever situation I am in, to be content. Uh, it is Contentment is not something that we experience based on our environment. So whatever environment we are in, we can be content in Christ. No matter how difficult it is around us, we can be content in Christ. You see, again, we have talked about before where the Bible says that we set our minds on things above, that our hearts are hidden. Our life is now hidden with Christ and God. You see, that is saying that the source of my contentment, the source of my life doesn't come from this place anymore. And in that, it is not affected by the things around me. Now my body may become weak, may be tired, I may be emotionally drained from things going on around me, but the source of my life is from where Christ is hidden in God, and my mind is set on the things where he is with God. And in that, as I train myself through the Spirit to walk in that place, no matter what is going on with my physical body or the world around me and my environment, I can still experience contentment in him in the midst of everything that is going on around me. Uh, so, contentment then is uh, when we are able to say, as Christ did in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, when Christ was in the garden, when he was uh, in the agony of considering what was laid before him, uh, going to the cross and being beaten and all that that would until he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, we arrive at the place of contentment when I can finally say, I don't need it to be my way anymore. It doesn't have to happen the way I want it to happen. That I am content allowing God to do whatever he would, that he would play out the situations around me, whatever way he would, that he would teach me in the situations I am in, in whatever ways he would, that I wouldn't have to control things around me anymore, that I wouldn't have to uh, uh, try to organize things to control the situations around me, but I can say honestly and sincerely, not my will be done, but yours be done. And I will align my life then 
around your purposes and intentions and your will and your desires, not my will anymore, but yours. Uh, you see, in that place, then, we stop living in dependence on the things of the world to bring us contentment. That can be as simple as sometimes we seek uh, contentment in our families. Sometimes we seek contentment in our friends or our spouse. We have to understand that God has given us marriage uh, to make us holy. But you see, I don't find my contentment in my spouse themselves. That's never going to happen. My contentment comes from Christ. And as I walk in the contentment of Christ, then I am able to uh, live out my responsibility to my spouse. My responsibility, not looking to them to live out their responsibility to me, but I live in the contentment of saying, not my will, but yours, God. And in that, then I am content. And when I am content in God, then I am able to live out my responsibility to my spouse. Uh, you see, we don't find contentment in our children alone. We don't find contentment in our jobs. We don't find contentment in finances, in educations. We don't find contentment in our hobbies. You see, there are people that will run around all over the world doing the next thing and the next thing and going this place and that place. It will never, ever bring contentment. Contentment comes from our hearts uh, being in the place where we trust God. I can't remember who said it. It was something that I read this week. I wish I knew who said it so I could tell you. But they said contentment is not simply about settling for what we have, but trusting in what God has said. Contentment is not simply about settling for what we have, but trusting in what God has said. You see, contentment is not when we come to the place of just accepting the things that we have. That this is my lot in life. This is all I'll ever have. That That is not contentment. Contentment is God. Contentment is relationship with God. Contentment is uh, ordering our lives around the words that he has spoken, spoken and trusting in those words. When I come to the place where I trust the words that he has spoken, when I trust that he is who he says he is, when I trust that his promises never fail, then I can entrust my daily life to him. I can entrust it to him. You see, and in that moment, I don't have to organize everything. I don't have to work out of my own strength to accomplish everything anymore because I am entrusting these situations to him. Uh, we are able to trust in the promises of God in what he has said. What are some of the things that God has promised? He has promised that he is good. I can trust that he is good, that his disposition towards me is goodness. The word of God says that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful. He never fails. He is love. He is righteousness, meaning that his ways are always right. I can trust that his ways are always right. He is just, meaning that he will never treat us unfairly. Uh, he is a refuge. The word of God promised that he will be with us. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So he has promised that he would be with us and walk through it with us through everything that we encounter. He has promised to strengthen us. Isaiah forty twenty nine says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He has promised to, promised to provide all that we need. Matthew six, thirty-one to 33 says, do not worry about any, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
in his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Everything that is necessary for our life and for godliness, he will provide for us if only we would seek first, before anything else, his kingdom. We see then through the word of God, as we've talked many times, that he has promised us a living hope and an inheritance through Christ. Again, contentment is not simply about settling for what we have, but trusting in what God has said. Contentment comes when we are able to, in faith, step out, believing and responding out of belief to the things that God has said. Uh, The last thing here is that contentment is something... Contentment is something that we learn, but contentment is something that we are able to train ourselves to walk in through the Spirit. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself to be godly. You see, this uh, implies that we actually have some sort of plan to grow, some sort of plan to continue on, some sort of plan to walk in the ways of God, to cultivate a heart for the Spirit of God to abide in us, uh, and then to grow in contentment. Uh, we have to understand that we can't be passive in our relationship, in our pursuit of God. We can't be passive in our pursuit of contentment in God. You see, we have to be people who are honest enough with ourselves and have such a desire to know ourselves and our weaknesses and our need for the Spirit that we wouldn't leave anything, any stone left unturned, but we would allow ourselves... Number one, we would search ourselves, that we would be honest before God, allowing him to search us. And then when God reveals something to us, that we would agree with him. You see, because it's easy for us to hear God saying something to us, for him to reveal something within our hearts, and then just to justify or come up with reasons why that's not necessarily true, or this really isn't that bad, or... Maybe that wasn't God speaking. You see, we have to be brutally honest with ourselves and agree with God when he speaks to my heart about something. I accept his revelation of my heart. I accept what that means. And then I develop a plan through his word and a pursuit of his spirit's presence. I develop a plan to overcome that uh, in him. You see, the Bible says, train yourself to be godly. That means that every single day we wake up, that we consider uh, how I take greater and greater steps into the presence of God. We cannot just be passive and expect that a year from now or two years or now from three years from now that I'm going to be uh, walking in a greater relationship with God. If we actually desire to walk with God in a deep, intimate relationship. It takes training, thought, and desire, and intention. Uh, And it is not something we can ever be passive in. Uh, The last thing I'll say is uh, we have to make sure that we understand that contentment in our circumstances can never be confused with contentment in our current spiritual state. You see, there should never be a moment where we become content with our current spiritual state. Now, I I can be content in all that God has laid out for me. I can be content uh, in the places that he has called me to, but my desire should always be for more of him. I shouldn't be content with having as much of God as I currently have. 
I shouldn't be content with reflecting as much of God as I currently am reflecting. I shouldn't be content with that, but I should constantly be de- desiring more. Paul said this again in Philippians chapter 3. He said, not that I've already obtained all this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says that uh, I am straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on for the prize. He is saying that I am not content with where I am at. I am not content with my relationship with Christ. Not that I am disappointed in it, but that I desire more of him. I know that I need more of him in my life. I I know that I need less of myself and more of him. And I can never be content with the amount of him that I have. I can never be content with the depth of my relationship that I have with him. Again, it's not a disappointment in the relationship, but it is such a desire to know him in a greater and greater depth uh, that we would, as Moses said, that we would constantly be before him saying, now show me your glory, that that would be our prayer. Show me your glory. Help me to understand greater and greater depths of who you are. And in that, then, as we gain greater and greater understanding, as a great, we walk in a greater and greater depth of relationship with him, we experience greater and greater depths of contentment. You see, the apostle was able to say, I have learned to be content in every situation, whether I have plenty or whether I don't, no matter what I have, I have learned to walk in contentment with Christ because all of the truths that he has spoken to us lead us to a greater depth of relationship with him. And in that, my heart then is set in the place where Christ is with God and I experience contentment and joy and peace and comfort and renewal. I walk in a living hope. I uh, keep before my eyes this hope of an inheritance. Everything that God has spoken is mine. As we've talked a couple weeks ago, the Bible says that all the promises of God, every promise is yes in Christ. Everything that God has spoken is yes in Christ. And as I walk in a relationship with him, trusting him, I can be content in him, no matter what is going on in the world around me. God, we thank you again today for your living word, for the ways that you speak to our hearts, for the ways that you draw us to to yourself. Again, that you have not left us to ourselves to stumble blindly through this life, trying to get to heaven. But Father, you have given us the abiding presence of your spirit, pointing us to you, that as we walk in greater and greater depth of relationship with you through your spirit, that you would give us greater contentment, Father, than anything that we could ever find in this world. Because it is from the place where you dwell and it is not shaken by anything of this world. Father, help us to be content. Help us to be content in you. And in our contentment, Father, help us to never simply be content with our depth of relationship with you, but teach us to seek your glory every single day. Father, we love you today. We thank you for all that you have done and all that you will do as we walk with you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.